Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. <laughs> I think we should start recording earlier, Holly. Yes, so but then we'd betray our deepest, darkest secrets. Well, so we'd have to use bleep, bleep, bleep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So the backstory of today's podcast is that Holly and I spent about 15 minutes talking about what's going on in our personal life, as well as our response to what's going on nationally and globally. And we both considered that we're bogged down in sadness. And there's also been some lightness, but it's a hard time right now for lots of reasons. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, can you turn up your volume a little bit? And, um, yeah. The thing that I was saying was that my consistent emotions equally felt have been a feeling of heaviness and a feeling of delight. Mm-hmm. And if that is what young and or Jesus <laughs> meant by reconciling the opposites, I can't decide if they're reconciled yet. <laughs> You know, yeah, both are happening at once and I'm feeling both at once, which means that there's some integration happening, but I know which one I would more readily let go of. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just to put it out on the table, the things that have have gotten my attention that on, on the national and global scale are the shooting at MSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, I continue to be appalled by the amount of life loss and grief in Syria and Turkey. Yeah. And uh, the fact that Hassad is keeping relief supplies away from people. Yeah. He's an evil person. Yeah. And then, of course, the ongoing thing that's going on in Ukraine. It's just, there's a lot of sad stuff in the world right now. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Michigan state shooting and Josh and I were talking about it last night, just, you know, in this same sort of sense of like, when will it end? You said you saw a picture of someone had written on a wall or a stone, make it stop. Mm -hmm. One of the things we were talking about is that two years ago, uh, there was a shooting at a Michigan high school. And many of those students from that high school attend state school, attend Michigan State. And some of those students have now, within two years, experienced two shootings. And what that does to a body, you know, the amount of stress and PTSD that implants into a body is, is beyond my comprehension in an immediate sense, I can comprehend it from the outside looking in and, you know, thus far the city of Houston has not had a high profile mass shooting. And there was one that was a fake one at the high school down the street from me, not too long ago. And that alone was terrifying. Translate that to like the, the what the bodies of the victims of the earthquake are feeling too, you know. 
I, I have been among a group of people once where someone was shooting into the crowd. I mean, it wasn't a very big crowd. And um, the circumstances were this. Um, I had been away from my office and um, I drove back and parked in my parking space at the same time that a city bus stopped on Westheimer to let people out. And people fled off the bus because there was a man on the bus who had a pistol and he was trying to kill his wife. Oh, my so God. He, she ran off the bus in the direction of where I was and the other people were. And he just started indiscriminately shooting. Mm. And um, I, 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 I have been uh, primarily because of working in a hospital. I've been in some scary situations before, some really traumatic or trauma, lots of trauma and all that. Yeah. And, and, but it was sort of controlled as far as the medical experts and people that were around me were concerned. But in this instance, there was nothing. And I remember that my physical response, I was shaking violently I, I mean really i was just uh, uh, yeah. like that because i was being shot at and when it was over it wasn't over yeah because i still was in the trauma as was everybody else people lying on the ground fearful mm. and all that I, I mean that happened years ago but i can mm. still remember it and i can't remember what it would be i can't know what it would be like for the people in in ukraine uh, or people at MSU who were hunkered down behind under couches and tables just waiting. Yeah. Did you know you said there had not been a high profile mass shooting in Houston? Um has there ever? I don't know. I don't either. Yeah. But I do know I do know that in nineteen in two thousand and twenty two last year there was reported a gun, a road rage gun incident every single day in Harris County. Now yeah. that does not mean that doesn't mean somebody was killed every day, but somebody was shot at or a gun was used in a road rage incident every single day. Hmm. That's pretty scary. It's terrifying. I mean that, and that is you know that we should even feel the potential for trauma in our cars, you know, I mean, there yeah. is, is nuts. So I just Googled, has there been a mass shooting in Houston, Texas? And I am wrong that there has not been, you know, how one is defined is that four or more people are dead or seriously injured. Yeah. And there was a shooting in a nightclub. I had kind of forgotten about this. And this is what's also sad how quickly I forget, how quickly I forget incidents that happen because another one takes its place. You know, like mm. our, our memory can't, our minds can't hold this every single day. And so we begin almost to like disconnect from it. You know how, you know how short-term memories compared to a film reel that like when like an old school movie reel that uh, each 
piece of the film overtakes the next. And and we can't actually, when we're watching a film, uh, divide the film into one frame after the other. But but that's how the short-term memory ha- works, right? Is that the next frame replaces the frame before it quite quickly. And it it's appalling that shootings are happening so often that one is replacing the next so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I can more readily connect with how I felt when I was a young person when learning about Columbine because it felt so out of the ordinary that something like that would happen. And I can't specifically connect to any other incident like that since then, because they're so frequent. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What's our solution? I've been thinking about, you know, I've shared with you that Josh and I have been a bit of a support network for several people in our lives who are needing support. And I've been asking us ourselves, are we okay? <laughs> are, how are we? And, and, and the answer that we both come up with, yes, we are okay. And so I'm holding this picture of what does it look like to be the calm in the storm? What does it look like to be in the boat while the sea is raging around you? And so I can say that my practice of finding my own inner peace has doubled down. (laughs) And I am working to figure out how does that show up in the world? You know, I know what I care about and attend to on a day-to-day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Um, And it never feels like enough to answer the pain of the world. But still, I must find that equanimity in me to keep showing up. You know, it, it, one of the one of the things that I want to t- try to talk about in ordinary life this week, and I'm really having a struggle doing this, um, is that awareness that I've been talking about that we've been talking about should I want to lead to an experience of the presence of the sacred mm-hmm. and. Um, there's nothing in our culture that supports a practice of the old phrase of the book that was popular, uh, practicing the presence of God, that one of the mystics wrote in the Middle Ages. Um, it's hard to it's hard to have a practice like that in a culture that that um, is so uh, dualistic. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like so counterculture. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wonder how to modify one or the other. How do we modify our practice to be more of the world that we live in? And that may be the choice because we can't seem to modify the world that we live in. You you remember when we had John Tucker here, the Mm -hmm. guy who wrote the book Zero Theology? Yeah. John Tucker's got a metaphor in that book that I would like to try to recapture for Mm. use. And that's the metaphor of the stained glass. Mm -hmm. That when glass was first invented, 
<clears throat> it was used as a decorative item. And it was not until later that glass was put in windows to allow people to see through. Mm -hmm. It was originally used to allow people to see, to look at. Yeah. And what they looked at were stories that informed them about the values of peace and love and hope and joy and hard work and community and love and death and all that sort of stuff. But we've removed that from our culture by and large. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we just look through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it, it's interesting. And I've, I've, this, this image has been stirring up in my mind too, is we have a spiritual practice to shore us up against the world or a spiritual practice to help us be in the world in a different way. And I can't fully disaggregate which one feels more true for me right now. That sometimes the interior world feels so much better than the exterior world and the desire or the temptation to kind of just stay in that place is strong, which is a kind of dissociation, right? Yeah, there, there is a, a woman whose name is Elizabeth O'Connor who wrote a book back in the 60s. Um, it grew out of her experience of a, a religious community in Washington, D.C. called the Church of the Savior, which is still in existence. Yep. And the book that she wrote was Journey Inward, Journey Outward. Mm -hmm. And it's her. it was her way to address just exactly what you just said, mm -hmm. that the spiritual practice is both journeys at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do journey inward for recovery and to gain the information and knowledge that we need, as well as the experiential um, side of spirituality to enable us to be in the world. So it's a journey inward and outward at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely. And that's yet another, you know, non-dual image to hold. Um, and the attention to it is sort of where are we spending more time in the interior, in the exterior, or is it balanced, balanced enough for us to be both in contemplation and in action to be both, um, and transcendent, so to speak, but also imminent in the world. Well, you know? my knee-jerk reaction to what you just said is that we as a culture don't spend ourselves in either one of those places. We spend our lives on the surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Walking that. Shallow, yeah. trivial, and that's what matters. Yeah. Uh, almost afraid to touch both. <laughs> um mm -hmm. So I can also see how um, those of us who are interested in this sort of deepening of the interior and the exterior um, can feel quite lonely. I do believe there is greater belonging there, like a, a greater, deeper belonging in what I'll call like the margins, right? This kind of mm -hmm. place where you are counterculture a bit, but it's hard to see mm -hmm. and feel and sometime. Can I put a shameless plug in here for an event that's coming up that I don't even think you know about? Oh, why tell me? I'm going to tell you right now. 
um, next Tuesday mm -hmm. in Richmond, Texas. Uh, and I'm going to put this on, I'm going to try, it's not up yet, but I'm going to put an announcement out through the Ordinary Life newsletter email thing, and I'll try to put it on the, on the website today if possible. There's going to be a dinner theater experience in Richmond, Texas. For anybody who signs up and wants to go, I don't know what the fee is going to be, 20 bucks or something like that, $25. Um, we're going to show, we, I'll tell you who the we is in a minute, we're going to show the film in and of itself ah. during dinner, and then Robert Hilliger and I are going to talk about it. How fun! Yeah, do you know Robert? Yes, but loosely, you know him far better than I do. Um, yeah. That's so cool. That'll be yeah. a great event. It's Tuesday night. I hope night. we can get the word out. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any announcement about it that one could link to? Not yet. Okay. But I'm going to put it up there. Okay. Well, Robert, you... sent, uh, Robert sent me a flyer and he just said, get this around. And I haven't had a chance to do it. So huh. um, I'll pass it out on Sunday and I'll put it up on the web. I'll try to do that today if I possibly can. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, that's such a beautiful documentary to sort of be in that that boundary or boundarylessness between the interior and the exterior. And who knew it would come through a magic show? <laughs> well, you know, the, the question raised in that is exactly the question I think that we're trying to speak to or around right now is yeah. that if we can answer the question about who we are mm -hmm. truly, mm -hmm. then we'll quit killing each other. And are you saying we collectively, we individually, or both? I'm saying we individually, I as an individual, must recognize that I see in you the same reality that is in myself and that I don't other you. Mm -hmm. And which uh, that is, that you know, that's the pain of the world right now. I, yeah. I, I thought as I was trying to write some for Sunday this morning, uh, the faces of the, the men who were in the, I say men because I don't remember seeing any women, who were in the protest at Charlottesville, mm -hmm. screaming, you will not replace us. They're angry, angry. Yeah. But the anger was not their primary emotion. They're terrified. They're terrified. Yeah. They're terrified. And and we're, we're frightened about so many things. And the way that we deal our fear is trying to eradicate it. And that means killing each other mm -hmm. in the extreme. Mm -hmm. That's what that means. Yeah. You know, I go, you said seeing the other as an extension of the self or seeing in the other way one sees in the self and I return to Maida Rivera's work on the transcendent other there's so many ways to use other I can other you and castigate you you know I think each of us can point to a moment in our lives when we felt othered left out separate from out of the crowd and how we've made the other this bad, different, ugly thing. Yeah. 
But the other is really this transcendent, beautiful, sacred thing. And it is our otherness. You are different from me. And it is exactly that fact that makes you sacred. Yeah, I, I am different from you, but I'm not other than you. That's right. And yeah. that's the key. It's our I difference keep, I, that I, makes us sacred. And it is our difference that also makes us the same. Because I, each of us is other. I keep returning again and again and again to what Karen Armstrong says in the 12 Steps to Compassionate Life. What the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu say in the conversation between them that's captured in the Book of Joy and now in the documentary that is out about them called Mission. Mm -hmm. If we could educate each other into truly believing that we need to be treated, we need to treat others like we would like to be treated, that would go so far towards solving so many of our problems. Yeah. It would. I don't know that I understand what the block is. It's like animals don't seem, to, or other animals don't seem to have these issues. They just are. Yes, there's lots of like hunting and prey and, you know, predator behavior in the natural world, but it seems like it's part of the natural order of food chain sustenance, survival, for us, it seems like a sport. Which uh, I'm going to do a 180 degree turn on you. Okay. Your puppy. Uh-huh. <laughs> How's your puppy doing? Delightful. Um, and we have also this week, uh, one of the guys that bought one of the puppies had a business trip and asked us if we could take care of his puppy while he was gone. So that's been really fun. So we've got a brother and a sister here who are wrestling, figuring out who's boss, sleeping, snuggling, <laughs> growling, barking, licking each other all the time. So when I say I've had equal amounts delight as heavy lately, that's an absolute they, delight. <laughs> these, these, these creatures are crated, right? Not all the time, no. No. You are, I know, not all yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. But at night, yes, they are sleeping in a crate. So, yeah. That's so wonderful. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, you are, you have had a dog and are a dog lover. And I don't know how these creatures just manage to make us feel like the most important people in the world. <laughs> well, the, 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 I can answer that question. Hmm. Because uh, dogs offer humans unconditional love. Yeah. Dogs offer humans the experience of absolute forgiveness. Mm -hmm. No Even matter how you treat a dog, that, you yeah. are absolutely right. Dogs also uh, render humans a service by dying before we do, generally. Yeah. So that yeah. we get acquainted with grief and yeah. all of that. Yeah. There, I, I watched this documentary on PBS years ago about how uh, the wolf became domesticated into being the dog. Mm -hmm. And that took a long time. But once the humans domesticated the canine, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. It became the fastest evolving species on the planet. Because you've got dogs that are the size of a teacup and you got dogs that are the size of a small pony. So all, all kinds of dogs. I am looking up right now. Have you seen the movie Alpha? Uh, tell me about it. I okay. So it's not a documentary. It's a dramatized story about the kind of first domesticated dog and how a, a, a boy befri is befriended by a wolf and how they create this kind of relationship and how it moves into um, interdependence. Um, and it is, it, it's really a great movie. I highly I'm recommend gonna, it. I yeah. have not seen it. Yeah. I am going to. Yeah. It's, um, it, again, not a documentary, but it does kind of dramatize that transition. And I don't doubt that it was the fastest uh, evolution, <laughs> this partnership, this relationship between what, man and dog. What, yeah. what streaming service is it on? Let me see. I think Netflix. we rented it. Um, I think you can watch it on Netflix. Okay. Yeah, I'll verify that for sure. But I think you can watch it on Netflix. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's really good. I'd love to know what you think about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm wondering if we're demonstrating right now how hard it is to stay focused. On the, I know I pulled us away by talking about the puppy because I'm a seven and sevens like to go for joy. Um, <laughs> uh, by the way, I, I'm in conversation with Suzanne Stabile. It's like uh -huh. we're going to get her to come to Houston. Great. That's awesome. Well, I'm, it's, yeah. I'm excited about yeah. that. Yeah. But I, I, I'm, I am I'm heavy hearted about where our country is and what's yeah. going on. The shooting is awful. It's overwhelming. I saw a man last night doing a uh, he held up the NBA and the NFL symbols and then he said I'm going to give you some statistics and he started talking about how many cases of domestic abuse how many cases of this and this and this and this and one horrible thing after another and he said what would you guess nfl or nba and he had the crowd kind of vote what they thought and he said it's neither it's our current congress huh. wow yeah Mm. I'm going to copy it. I think I'm going to copy it and use it. It was pretty yeah. powerful stuff. To know that our leadership is abiding by ethical behaviors. <laughs> well, George George Santos told me that we've had we should stop this. So glad that you're giving him spiritual direction. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, you with. I think George Santos is a, just a, a a symptom and a logical outcome. Yeah. of our political process if you have leadership that thrives on lying and conspiracy theories and all that yep it makes sense that you would elect one of your own members to represent you absolutely i mean it's it's such a like self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways you know or a self-feeding machine i guess 
And sometimes I wonder like, well, we, do we just have to let everyone in the machine eat, eat each other? Like metaphorically, but you know, what has to be sort of self-destructed before there is progress made? You know, uh, my office is on the campus at St. Paul's mm-hmm. and I love my office and because you helped you decorated it. I think you also um, just like the darkness of the dungeon cave. <laughs> I love my office. I just love my office. Yeah. Anyway, um, I come to work now every day. I have to pass an armed security guard to get in the building. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I guess uh-huh. he's there yeah. on Sundays too. He's usually with Joe. He's there. Yeah. He's here. He's here every day. Yeah. Mm. Because mm. we have a school on the campus. And the school parents were the ones that wanted to do this. And, you know, Holly, I, you've got kids who are in schools, and I've got two granddaughters who are away in universities. And if it happens in one school, you think, oh, my God, mm-hmm. it can happen in It could happen another. anywhere. It could happen well, anywhere. What that makes me wonder is if the preschoolers are doing uh, armed shooter drills, active shooter drills. Uh, they were doing armed shooter drills at Episcopal High School when my granddaughter was yeah. there. Do you think they're doing them at the preschool? I don't know. I can ask. It's so, like, even, you know, just that. I remember when we were little, I'm sure different than when you, you know, because we're the same age. Um, <laughs> when I was little, it was, um, they called them tornado drills. For you, it might have been more like the communists are coming drills, but we had to hide under our desks. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ours were atomic bomb drills, and mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. did under our desk. Mm-hmm. As if that would do some real good. We are so good at manufacturing fear. Well, I'm going to be interested to see what you call this podcast. Manufacturing fear. <laughs> Or if you really have the courage to post it. Yeah, right? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the doldrums of Wednesday. (laughs) Well, I'll put the word out about in and of itself next Tuesday night in Richmond, which ought to be a fun thing to do. And um, You know, it occurs to me, like, if we're trying to kind of end on like a, well, let's sum it up kind of note. It's learning to live with our wounds in different ways learning to live with the darkness and the light in different ways Mm -hmm. when i was in charge with teaching interns in uh in a hospital or teaching students i did a course i did a seminar on the importance of being sick and i would go down um before the seminar at the beginning of the semester and i would go to the hospital gift shop and i would buy six or seven get well cards and i would begin the seminar by reading you with get well cards you know mm. we miss you at work figure about yourself soon and come back mm-hmm. all, the, all the ones that we give people when they're sick and then i would say to the people who were in the seminar, okay, help me just 
But which one do I send to the woman who's just gotten a diagnosis for a book cancer? And there isn't one. There isn't one. What you send, and it's what I want to try to talk about Sunday, is what we get. What we have to offer each other is presence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See you next week. See yeah. ya. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs>